welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of several lore enthusiasts over at Blizzard Watch, and I've got two of those enthusiasts with me today. First up, it's Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Well, it is going pretty okay today. Just very windy. Windy? Oh, yeah, because yeah. you're like in New York. Or well, yeah, it's it's getting like yeah. Technically, you are you are New York. You're New York State, not New York City. Correct. I'm New York okay. State. Okay. And then, of course, we've got our other lore enthusiast with us today, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? I'm a robot vampire shaped like a phone booth. Okay. None of that was true, but it's words. I'm making them come out of my mouth. I'm not thinking too hard about them. Well, I tell you what, we just got done with doing another. Um, uh, another role playing D and D role playing session yesterday, you guys. So everybody's a little bit tired because we just got done with like what almost three hours of broadcasting yesterday, and now we're back for another. Close. We're back for another hour or so today. <laughs> um, however, we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about Shadowlands some more because honestly, where we left off last week when we were talking about the Nathrezim and we were talking about the potential of them actually being and originating from the Shadowlands instead of being something that just appeared in space or whatever. Um, I would say front. Uh, if I had to pick a, a realm that they're from, it would be Revendreth. You which think? does definitely, it seems to fit their aesthetic pretty well. Okay. The wings, the pseudo-vampiric nature, the See, that kind of seems like it. Stuff. The only reason why I suggested Maldraxxus to begin with was because they deal with necromantic magic, which... Yeah, but the, the Nathrezim, while they do certainly seem to be aware of and able to use that necromantic magic, definitely come off as more vampiric. To me. Yeah, I, they do. I, um, I don't disagree. I think that there's uh, a case to be made that it's possible, since we know souls and, and entities can move between these realms, that maybe they started in Revendreth and stole the information from Eldrock. Ooh, that would be kind of interesting, too. Yeah, there's definitely... Of... It's definitely room for both ideas. I certainly can see them going to Maldraxxus to steal the uh, the ability to become a lich, because the they seem to be the the, the big high powers in in Maldraxxus seem to be lich like. Well, they the fascinating the fascinating part about all of this too is the fact that the Shadowlands is populated by creatures, and these creatures aren't anything we've ever seen before. So it's kind of like. Well, do they exist in the Shadowlands? Like, are they creatures that were born there and they just exist there? Or are they creatures that died from someplace else that have since settled there? Like, how does the hierarchy work or, out there, you know? Or something that Rossi mentioned last uh, last week, possibly both. Like, the yeah. idea of something died, its anima came here, and it was used to birth something else. Like, that's also something that could be happening in a lot of these places. Which is just bizarre when you think about it. So we're going to be talking more about all of this stuff. Um, if you're sick of the Sh Shadowlands conversation, that's okay. You could go back next week. We'll be talking about other stuff. It's just right now, um, there's not a whole heck of a lot brand new going on on the Warcraft PTR. And we don't really know any other news updates with Overwatch 2. And we're about to hit the holidays, so... I don't think we're going to have a whole lot of new information. Um, regardless, if you have an email for the show and you want to send us a question, you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just be sure you put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know it's for the show. Or if you're on our Discord, we do have a Discord channel that's specifically for Q and podcast questions. You can go ahead and submit your question there. Again, make sure that you mention that it's for Lorewatch so that we know it's for this show because we do have several Q&A places that, that we could shuffle those things. Um... I want to talk about Sylvanas, though, and I know we've kind of, like, exhausted her, but I don't think we've exhausted her quite enough because somebody said that Sylvanas got in touch with the Shadowlands and everything during the story Edge of Night, like, when she leapt off of the Frozen Throne and was floating around in that blank nothingness. That was when she first got in contact with them. I... I don't know if that's necessarily the case because we seem to have evidence to the contrary. And I know we talked about this a little bit last week too, but I kind of want to talk about it a little bit more. Sylvanas is one of those characters who has always had some kind of an agenda and everybody kind of assumed that her agenda in the original World of Warcraft and also, you know, at the end of Warcraft 3, all evidence pointed to her agenda was get rid of the Lich King. And 
she said it was for vengeance and vengeance is a very good reason and and an easily acceptable reason given what he had done to her my question is was it really vengeance that wanted her to get rid of the lich king or was it something else because here's the thing she was mad when she showed up on the frozen throne and arthas was gone but there was another lich king in his place she was really ticked off and i had assumed that she was really ticked off because she spent all of her time dedicating herself towards this path of vengeance and that vengeance had supposedly been served but the helm had gone to somebody else and it was just it was like the same cycle all over again and that was immensely painful i'm kind of wondering if she intended to open that gateway long before she actually did here then my only question to that is then why throw herself off the top of the citadel mm. so like that that's that's the part like i've i've got i've been going back and forth with uh a couple listeners about this particular thing okay uh, over the last couple weeks and that's the part that always sticks out as the oddity because if it was a case of her work wasn't done and there was still a lich king that needed to be usurped or destroyed so that she could do what she needed to do why would she fling herself off the top of ice crown it's also a little out of character for her at least in regards to self-preservation which even before this has been a pretty big theme for her so going back to warcraft 3 all of those cinematics going into World of Warcraft and everything that happened up to that point over the course of however many years it was between, you know, classics release and, and that event at Wrath, uh, it seemed like why would she take herself out of the equation then? Was she taking herself out of the equation or was she trying to get in touch with the powers that be in the most direct way possible? But how would that that's the that's the problem how would that help her if she didn't know she could come back or cross back if she didn't know that she could keep doing what she needed to do why would she do it now the, to me it seems that the most likely why most delay likely, the inevitable what do you mean why didn't delay the inevitable she's been trying to delay the inevitable her entire existence at the i know but she failed at that point so maybe she was just like okay well time to face the music has she ever been like that like this is a legitimate this there's, is a legitimate there's question a, uh, there's a famous roman general and uh, i'm sorry that i can't remember his name but he fought hannibal and he got the name Kunkator, uh, which means the delayer because how he fought hannibal was to not fight hannibal uh he would pull back and pull back and pull back and let hannibal keep extending his lines if we look at how sylvanus fought when arthas attacked kind of the same thing Sylvanas is very much a delayer. She is, she she is one of those people who her her generalship was always one of, okay, what's our fallback? What's our retreat? We're faced with overwhelming force. If if not for the elf gates being destroyed due to the uh, intelligence that Dracon Dathir gave to the scourge, she probably could have kept them there indefinitely because they would have had to try to get around them instead of going through them, and it would have given her more time to maneuver. I think the the fact that they say straight up at the Q and A at BlizzCon that the the Edge of Night is when they make their deal. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. Um, so I'm taking them at their word for now. But I think I, if I understand what Anne is saying, then her argument is, is that Sylvanas goes up there, sees that there's a new Lich King, and decides I need to talk to these I need to talk to these forces directly and her actions would be calculated. Am I correct in that's what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Let me propose a slight alternative. Okay. If if you're Sylvanas, what what if everything she had been doing wasn't to get revenge on Arthas, it was to utterly destroy Arthas in a very specific way. If you replace Arthas, you've destroyed Arthas. She's already done this once. Who is who rules Lordaeron at that time? Who ruled Lordaeron for years? The Menethils. But who ruled it during the Wrath of the Lich King? Oh, she did. She, like, totally... She replaced Arthas. She, she ousted... Every... Not only... Yeah, she took everything, and she actually she actually took his former home. Not that he really cared or seemed to care. Yeah, but th- think, about, think about this. Arthas took everything Sylvanas had. He didn't just kill her. He destroyed her body. He, like, ripped her out of her body and made her into a slave. He destroyed everything. 
her entire legacy as Ranger General. As far as she knew for a very long time, he destroyed the Sunwell. We shouldn't find out till much later that he hadn't. And she's actually a big deal. If you read the Sunwell trilogy by Richard Knack, she's a big deal in that storyline. She's in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. she is. She's, and it's it's very the the trauma of what he did to her is everything that she is now, and her entire everything she's ever done since has been in a, in part you know up to up until she goes up Ice Crown, everything she did was to destroy him by replacing him. She took over all of the stuff he used to rule. She became the Banshee Queen, uh, and she took Lordaeron City itself as her capital. And then she's like trying to create a new plague, even worse than the plague that he was using. And it's it's all there is a very complicated way that Sylvanas processes resentment that I think is something to really think about. I don't. It, also, I don't it, think, it almost seems like a game of undead one-upmanship that she's trying to play. Arthas's whole thing was anyone would do what I did if they were in my position. Sylvanas's whole thing is you think you can take from me, and if you look at it, look at what she does to uh, uh, Summer Summer Moon. Is that her name? Yeah, the the the, the uh, night elf in the the Warbringer short. She's yeah. like, you know, I you know I pity you, and that's like you don't get to pity me. And that whole thing about you know you don't think you can lose hope, I'll show you the loss of hope. And it did ha- it did happen. Summer Moon did lose hope because now Summer Moon's uh, forsaken. Summer Moon felt forsaken by her people. Sylvanas took from Summer Moon exactly what Summer Moon was trying to take from her. That's how Sylvanas responds to any threat of this type. And when you look at what I don't think I think she tried to commit suicide. I don't think she was up there trying to strike a bargain with anything. I think she ex- intended to walk up there and take it from him. Yeah, and, she I, goes. She goes up there when she goes through the um, oh bloody hell the dungeon halls of reflection. When you go through Horde side, and yes, surprise to people, I've played Horde side for years. Uh, when you go through Horde side, and Sylvanas is there, and she's like she's being very calculating, and she's like, we have to get through here, and then we'll go do this, and we'll get in through there, and she finally gets to the dungeon, and she chases off after him, and then realizes I can't beat him. Mm-hmm. And there's that moment of just, this is what I came for and I can't do it. We need a new plan. I believe she truly intended that, you know, in her mind, the uh, horde force that goes in would get destroyed, but it would weaken him. And then she goes up there and instead of Arthas's body, what's there? Somebody else. And when you actually do the dungeon, as opposed to her going up, honestly, the way it looks to me when I think about it is the way it works lore wise, the way Edge of Night falls in is Edge of Night is literally after the end of the raid. When you come yep. down and you give her the music box. Because she doesn't leave. Because she takes the music box and she listens to it. And she's like, she waits for everybody else to leave. And she goes up there and she's like, you know, I don't get my revenge. I don't get to take it from you. And I think the suicide attempt was genuine. I think that was a suicide attempt. Because I feel like it was very much not just, I don't get to get my revenge. But I do feel it was like, in a weird sort of way, Arthas was her reason for existing. It was everything she had up to that point. I think, I think the attempt was genuine, but I think when she, I think she is not the kind of person who didn't exploit every angle. So all that stuff that we've got, that's weird and doesn't make a lot of sense. Like the bloodstone stuff that Anne was talking about. I definitely think she was working on that stuff. I just don't think she had a specific overarching plot in mind for everything. I think she was working the angles. Is this going to work? Is this going to do it? It's that sort of thing. And, and that's the thing. Like, I, I agree with you on those things. And that's, that's what I think is most likely what happened up to that point. And I think that it was deliberately calculated on Helia's part, because after the control from the helm was disrupted, when it wasn't on anybody's head in that time, those Valkyr were free, right? They're, 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 they're not directly under a Lich King's control. Bolvar doesn't have it necessarily, you know, yet. Uh, we don't know the nature of the domination between the Valkyr and Arthas. We know that he could make them. For a brief uh, minute or two, they had their free will. Maybe longer, because Bolvar might not have known how to, to to use that to his advantage yet. And if you look at Bolvar, he doesn't really have Valkyr around him. So what if Helia reestablishes connection and says, here's a soul, here's a being that I've been watching who will fit nicely into our plans, go make her an offer. Go give her another path because she'll follow it doggedly. Just like Rossi said, she exploits every opportunity. She looks at every angle. 
give her an angle she hasn't seen yet, reveal a path to her, and let her go. And now it becomes even bigger than replacing Arthas. It becomes how do you replace death, essentially? And I'm I'm being more melodramatic than I, I probably should be, but how does she, what, what's the next conquest for her? What's the next thing that would give her motivation? Destroy the Lich King, make sure it never happens again? Or what if we tell you you can completely disrupt the cycle of life and death and free yourself in the world from everything that happens? Doesn't that seem like a really interesting character to present to her? It does. And the Helia angle does fit too, because a lot of people tend to forget that no, Helia wasn't there in Wrath of the Lich King, but, but the Cavalder were. Oh, yeah. And and I went on a whole tirade about this, and, and I saw certain people liking those tweets. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, why were the Cavaldier there? Why were they going specifically after the Tuscar? Because they weren't doing anything else. They were keeping the Tuscar busy. Why? Why were they going after him? And, there, and there's the thing that says, oh, the Tuscar were trying to return an artifact, and they took offense to it. But really, the Cavaldier are the personal souls of Helia. They're her um, army. They they were actually doing something else. Lay it on me. Leveroth. They were attacking mm. the Naga. The Naga. That's true. That's were, right. Were trying to raise a Kraken, and the Cavaldier didn't want it raised. That's right, because you do the whole quest to get the item for the Naga. Yep. You even use. Well, the and that kind of leads into to kill Leveroth. Yeah, and that leads into cataclysm too with the whole stuff that's going on underground well it also ties into something else uh-huh sylvanas and ashara have make a deal and we know this now we know that they do because in 8.3 they've got the exchange between sylvanas and ashara that led to the uh whole bit we saw with the the horde fleet and the the thanos holding the the dagger that used to be zalatath we, we now know what the deal was and Ashara fully is aware that Sylvanas, she even says, my loyalty to my master is no less strong than yours to your subjects. And Sylvanas is like, quite. And then after they've had their exchanges and Sylvanas about to take their leave, Ashara bursts out with, you know, insolent banshee. Do you think I don't know the darkness you plan to unleash? So Ashara knew full well what Sylvanas' plans were. Mm -hmm. And that means that when you see Naga fighting Cavaldir, when you know Cavaldir work for an an entity that exists in the Shadowlands, you have to say to yourself, why is Ashara so interested? Why does Ashara want to? What is what is her game plan here? What how is long has Helia doing? been working on this? Yeah, and how long has Ashara been opposing it? And when she says to Sylvanas, "Insolent Banshee, do you think I don't know what darkness you seek to unleash?" How does she know that? And more importantly, why doesn't she really seem that concerned? Like after this is all over, um, Ashara even says. There's the true throne of power for this world, and I mean to claim it. And she doesn't have any role in, in Shadowlands that we know of, but she's still out there. So there's actually, Ashara's appearances, uh, even including her raid appearance, is all still leading somewhere. And that somewhere not just facilitates Shadowlands, but anticipates it. She knows what's happening, and it doesn't concern her. Can I just say, for the record, that I'm really happy that Ashara wasn't a one-and-done raid boss in this expansion? Yeah, I would have been real real mad about that. She's a fascinating character, and there are so many layers to that character. I mean, let's take, let's take a moment and just talk about how complicated the uh, the bad guys have been, or quote-unquote bad guys have been, throughout this entire expansion. Bravo. This, this expansion has had... Seriously, I know people, people like to badmouth the expansion for whatever the reasons happen to be, but this... This expansion has had a really intriguing storyline, and it's had some of the most intriguing heroes and villains, just new characters, just brand new characters right off the bat, and then characters we didn't know anything about. Bonzamdi, we first heard about him way back before Cataclysm came out when the trolls took back the Echo Isles. That was your first encounter with him. But it wasn't really much of an encounter. It was more like Vol'jin was just kind of saying hi and fixing things. And Wansamdi came in and took um, Zalazane. Took Zalazane, finally. And they cleared the Echo Isles and then the trolls got to retake it. And that was great and everything. But this character, all of a sudden, has become something so much more than that. And other characters that we've known for a while have suddenly become so much more than they were. Jaina, even. Um, Jaina is like, 
fleshed out in a way that she never quite was before. There's a real humanity to her that I really appreciate. And the villains, yeah. Talk about the villains, Joe. Well, I was just going to say, like, we've, over the years, we've had such, for lack of a better term, one-dimensional villains. Garrosh was pretty close to being deep, but it was never really portrayed in-game as such. You got a lot of that from, like, the books, which, you know, if you haven't read them, please, we can make some recommendations and listen to the end. I'm sure we will. Yeah. But this is one of the things where through the questing, through the storytelling, through the raid, through everything, you get to see the multiple layers of these villains. They're portrayed as being smart and calculating and not just mustache twirling, which is what we've gotten for how many years? Even Nefarian, like he oh, was. Nefarian was one of the worst at it. But the thing he... is, is I feel like Nefarian, Nefarian was kind of tongue in cheek. Like he knew that he was a mustache twirling villain. Sure. Particularly but... when he came back in Blackwing Descent. But anyway, go ahead. But I was gonna say, but even then, like it was, I think it was played up in Blackwing Descent. But before that, it was kind of. Yeah, and then Anixia, okay, like those were the big ones. And then you had Archimonde, who, okay, he was there, sure, back in the day. It's just gotten progressively better and progressively more deep and involved. And the cool thing about that to me is that you can actually start to see them having an effect larger. And I think that's one of the most important things, particularly about Ashara, is it's not just, you know, we go and fight her once and that's the end of it. It's how has she been planning this? How is it interwoven? How has this been going back to even wrath at this point? You know, where are these threads pulling from? Where are these threads started? Same thing with Sylvanas. And that's, to me, that's one of the, the very good things about this level of writing and, and digging into the deep lore of this game. Because, and I've said this to a couple of people, we've been here for 15 years. There's a lot of stuff that's happened. And a lot of games and game worlds out there don't acknowledge stuff like that and just move forward here. We're still moving forward, but we're acknowledging all these things that happened, or at least a good chunk of them, not every, uh, but a good chunk of them over the years and how they play into now. Why is it important now? What was the plan now? And what does this mean moving forward? And even with Ajara, that stuff happened. Great. That raid, we, we finished it. And now it's going to be part of what happens in the next raid and the next content. And how is that going to impact the next story? That's one of the things I truly appreciate right now. Like and you I said. know you've got people out there and I, we're getting a little bit meta here, guys. We're not talking about like the story directly. We're just talking about like the story as important. an object. But you get people out there who talk about how the story's gotten cheap or da 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 they're going back and they're rewriting things and da 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 no they aren't they really aren't guys this is what this is what storytelling is all about is taking all of those little loose threads that you left back behind way 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 once upon a time and pulling them forward and weaving them into something that continues to propel the story forward and you have to do stuff like that when you're dealing with a story that is ongoing like an MMO or like a comic book series um maybe not quite the comic book series because they do quite like to um reset those at reset, any given yeah. opportunity <laughs> but um soap operas soap operas do the same thing um heck i've been watching it i was going to say i've been watching a telenovela for that's mm -hmm. been going with the same storyline for 30 years yeah you got telenovelas you've got soap operas you've got tv series that are like ongoing i don't think any of them have gone on quite that long but um it's still doctor, doctor, doctor who. who there you go yeah. doctor who's spanned generations of people and it's they're still, still ongoing characters they're still bringing back characters and plot lines from like season one the and original you the have to realize doctor. that they season season back. one was what year was season one 1950 something yeah that's a long time for a show to keep an ongoing story and yet you have writers who are clever enough to go back and recognize these threads for what they are and pull them forward and that's what we're seeing here we're seeing we aren't seeing anything cheap we aren't seeing anything manufactured we're seeing little it feels like threads a jigsaw puzzle. yeah we're seeing little threads that are being pulled and brought forward and maybe yeah, we it... didn't recognize those threads for what they were initially but boy, are they turning into something interesting now. And that's, like I said, that's what gets me excited about storytelling on a level like this. So, sorry. Go ahead, Rossi. No, I just, I think to a degree it's unfortunate that the surface, the superficial surface similarities between the end of Mists of Pandaria 
and this expansion have meant that people have not looked deeper at what this expansion was actually doing. And we've had hints all along that this expansion wasn't going to just be the Horde and Alliance fighting. They they said that up front. They were like, oh, yeah. Battle for Azeroth does mean fighting over Azeroth, but it, it also is, means fighting on behalf of Azeroth. It is quite literally a battle for Azeroth, because Azeroth can't fight herself. She's a world soul. And I I do think there are places where this expansion stumbled. Sure. Uh, and there have been parts of this expansion that I have not personally. But that's, I've, I've also said from the beginning that the storytelling in this expansion has been getting steadily better, and it's been getting better for years. I mean, I think Warlords of Draenor, it wasn't the storytelling that was the problem. It was, okay, we got nothing for an entire patch, and now we're going to get nothing for an entire, like, there were huge chunks of just nothing happening. Because, you know, we got we some gotta... really beautiful storytelling when we were leveling. And again, I will say flat out Warlords of Draenor, that leveling experience was one of the best ones I had done to date. Um, I think that the f- later expansions usurped it. But up until that point, leveling hadn't been that enthralling in a really long time. It was just the end game. There was nothing there. That's it's it. It's because the, the thing is, even this in, the end game stuff we got wasn't bad. It was that there were huge swaths of not getting anything in between it. I thought Tanan was great until I realized I was going to be doing it for a year. That was the problem with Tanan. Yeah. I ran out of Tanan way before there was anything else to do. And that's why nobody, by the end of that year, nobody wanted to go to Tanan anymore. But that's not, I was very happy to go there for a solid six months. There was enough there to keep me going for six months. It was just that then and then there was more another six months. It's not that, that it was bad content. It's just there wasn't enough of it. It, yeah, and then the raid has the, that too. Oh, sorry. I was going to say for me it was the stumbling of the story, right? Because yeah. it stalled out at some point. Like, like you guys have said, and that's one of the things. Like, just trying to bring this back into the 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 story aspect of it a little bit. That's where I think we're starting to see the difference. And like, I think Rossi makes a great point. And that's one thing I want to encourage people who are listening to us. Like, take some extra time and actually play through this content and dig in. And act, if you enjoy the story, because you're listening to us, you obviously do. Don't just take our words for what's going on, engage with it and play with it and take the opportunity to experience it. Because even though we go into a lot of detail, we're just scratching the tip of the iceberg on a lot of this stuff. And I also feel like if you want a a direct representation, we have that now. You could go back and you can play through WoW Classic. Take a look at what the story was in WoW Classic. See what you can find. See see how cohesive it is. Take a Mm -hmm. look at it. Take a look at... Take a look at the city leaders, who they are, and how much impact they have on whatever's going on. Because they don't go anywhere. They don't do anything. They didn't do anything until Burning Crusade. And when Thrall came to Outland, that was probably one of the most jaw-dropping experiences that I'd had in the game to date. Because all of a sudden, the city leader got up off his duff and he's doing something. That's weird. That's unusual. That's really cool. And now, now we're going on quests with them, guys. We're like hanging out with them. We're hearing their personal stories. We're rescuing them from things. Like we're going to different planes of existence. It's it's gone. It's gotten so exponentially better. You don't really comprehend it until you go back to the beginning and take a look at it. And fortunately, we've got that opportunity to go back to the beginning. Anyway, I'm sorry, we're getting off track here. There's I some, guess here's some here's something I wanted to talk about for a while. Yeah, go for it. This is something I've been seeing online. I've seen it in quite a few places, and it was the point someone made to me that um, Vol'jin's important in this in a way that we haven't really thought about. Not oh, just yeah. because Vol'jin was the guy who basically said that the voices are telling me to appoint Sylvanas. He came but back. What what happened with him? Yeah, because here's the thing: if if the whole thing with the we keep hearing the machinery of death is broken. If that happened before Legion, then he would have gone to the Maw. Mm-hmm. He didn't. So if Vol'jin didn't go to the Maw, you know who else didn't go to the Maw? Varian. Varian. Varian, Tyrion, and all those guys. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, where did he go? How did he come back? Who sent him back? It wasn't Blunt Samdi. that question was never resolved. Nope. It has never yet been resolved. But think about what it means. Well... Vol'jin wasn't sent back by Bon Samdi. Bon Samdi had no idea how he came back and was pretty concerned about it. 
Mm-hmm. Vol'jin wasn't sent back by Aeir or the Lich King. Who sent him back? Who could have sent him back if it wasn't any of those? And it's not just send him back. It's level him up, essentially, and send him back. Well, he goes. He gets to come back. They, we we know there are other people who become Loa. That's something. The Loa are not just any one thing. They're you know you're powerful. You have an existence beyond like beyond the mortal realm. Okay, you know ancestors have become Loa. Vol'jin's own father is a Loa. He he visited his son. He gave him visions. Mm-hmm. So, but think about who's powerful enough to have sent him back, and nobody knows he did it. There's Varian? two beings. That, no, no, there's two no. beings that could have done this. The Naru? No, the Naru couldn't have done it without people knowing he they did it. Yeah, they're really? pretty flashy about that stuff. Uh, what think... they do with Britain bread? That's we don't know what they did with Britain bread. But they also physically showed up to take him. That's going somewhere though. Think True. about keep that one in going. Okay. We have to. We know about these two beings we never heard of before who live in the realm of death. One, the jailer could send Sylvanas back by using the uh, the Valkyr like mm-hmm. uh, as as proxies. And we've seen that multiple times. But there's the being that the jailer hates. Yep, the arbiter. Now we don't know anything about the arbiter other than it is its job to essentially arbit you know, to arbitrate where you end up. And we know yes. that there's there's various realms. One of the realms, Revendreth, for instance, is the realm where if you're kind of if you're just kind of evil, but not maw level evil, you go to Revendreth, and the vampiric entities that live there will draw the evil out of you to purify you before you get to be sent back to the world in some fashion. But that's not what happened to Vol'jin. I also find it very amusing that that's where Kael'thas ended up. Yeah, and it makes sense because Kael'thas was utterly he he had nobility to him you know he failed he 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 did the wrong things but there was a good man in there somewhere he tried so it makes sense that you could try to purify that out of him but think for a moment about Vol'jin's return that means that at the beginning of legion the machinery of death wasn't broken Mm -hmm. so when did it break and what broke it because we know it was broken by the beginning of, of Battle for Azeroth because the burning of Teldrassil sent those souls to the Maw. And then that's what's happening right now. All the people who die fighting the uh, the old gods in, in patch 8.3, they're going to the Maw. I'm I just going to feel like Sylvanas we... tells you that's her plan. Sylvanas I... tells you that all that death is going to serve a higher purpose. I still feel like we did something on Argus that we didn't comprehend uh, at the time. Argus. Not on Argus. Not, not on Argus. Yeah. To Argus. Yeah. To Argus. That's what What was Argus's name? Argus the Unmaker. Ooh, yeah. And Argus was a world soul. He was the world soul of an entire world. And when it's either that or it's when Sargeras attacks Azeroth. Those are the two moments that you look at and you say, are these two things, you know, I've seen the Argus one mentioned a few times. I've seen the Sargeras one mentioned a few times. So I think one or both of those might be what's going on because I mean, his attack on, on Azeroth, he wounded the planet to the point where it began, you know, panicking yeah. where it began bleeding heavily and it began freaking out and screaming. And it was doing that even before he showed up, you know, when, when Magni comes to you and says, uh, there's something going on in this chamber. We got to go check it out. And, Azeroth is having literal freakout nightmares, you know, and those freakout nightmares are about the Legion and they're about the old gods, but they're also just plain old freakout nightmares. So in there somewhere between those two Titanic forces, those literal Titans that get dealt with, there's, there's a horrific injury dealt to the, to the world soul of, of Azeroth and another world soul flat out dies. And it even says when you, when you kill Argus, it says this should not be possible. Yup. So when that happened, we did the impossible. What is when you have a setup that's meant to how does one channel like a Titan soul? Where does it go? You know, we still don't know anything about either the Arbiter or the Jailer. We don't know where they come from. We don't know what they are. And the so, only thing we really know about the Shadowlands is that the Shadowlands doesn't just encompass Azeroth. It's all planets, all worlds. Yeah. So any of these worlds could be part of that whole machinery of death or what what have you. The only reason I say Argus is because what was the Legion doing with Antorus? Well, I violating was, death. They were violating death for sure, but I'm also they thinking... were using Argus to do it. Yeah, they were using um, Argus. And Argus wasn't himself. happy about it because if you go back to that short story, Thousand Years of War, Alaria saw the World Soul. 
and it was crying being, out for help. Yeah, it was being tortured. To me, like, and I'm I'm going along the lines of of you know stuff that Rossi's saying. Like, we killing Argus is an event that the universe really hasn't had, right? Because up to this point, even when the Titans died, they went to go be reformed. Their souls were captured, being tortured, and converted. That's that was the entire goal. They still existed. They didn't go anywhere. But when we destroy Argus, when we kill that world soul, it's gone. What happens when you shove that much raw power, that much essence that's been corrupted, that's been tainted, that's been tortured, that's been violated for all of those centuries, and shove it into the Shadowland? What happens? Is that the monkey wrench? Is that the thing that got stuck in the cogs? Did that all that anima overload the engine? Yeah, like is that why or, the is that why the arbiter couldn't do anything immediately? Or another possibility that kind of goes along those lines was somebody waiting for it to capitalize on all that influx of anima because the maw all Just, of a sudden magically yeah. became super powerful. Yep, divert it because there's that whole thing about how Sylvanas has been feeding the maw with new souls, but they put Sylvanas in charge of the the horde during legion mm -hmm. and it was the people that went to fight argus at least the, the horde ones and they even made a deal with the not with the draenei and the naru to do it the the horde made that pact they were like okay we're going to work together right now and that's in legion people forget this the horde sails to azermist island mm -hmm. they go inside the exodar they make that deal and let me tell you, as a rogue that's spent, I don't know how many years skulking around the inside of the Exodar, it was really weird to go in there and not have to stealth. Yeah, I played Draenei, so it wasn't that big a deal for me. But but you know what I'm saying. Uh, it just, if you think about what happened with Argus, you think about the moment when you kill him and there's that whole quest line when you bring the, the drop of Argus's blood back and they're like, you know, this shouldn't have happened. The quest text says this should be impossible. If... Sylvanas was put on the throne, the you know the war chief's throne, to set up a deal with the with the jailer to set up a deal so that she could divert souls to the maw. That could have been the first one. Along that same line, she was busy before that trying to do whatever she was doing with Helia. It seems also that like the two the two events could also be related to where because Argus at that point when we do all that thing, all those things, even the throne, uh, the the the. I forgot what they called it, but the, the seat of power, essentially the all of that. Yeah, yes. All, all three of those, uh, that and Azeroth, all three of those locations are linked at that point. We rip a world soul out of one planet. We kill it in a third location. And then we cause the most powerful world. So soul or so we're told immense excruciating pain because a giant sword has been driven into it. Like this could all be related to breaking the machinery. Like, it could just be also, too much from the start. Well, plus, I mean, also think about this. The Titans are the ones who drew Argus's soul to the seat of the Pantheon. Mm -hmm. Not any of the others, just they did it. They pulled mm -hmm. him there so that they could basically have you destroy him so they could use his power to bind Sargeras. And none of this is the natural order of things. Yep. Absolutely none of it. It's all, it's, it's basically improvisation. And at one point, he kills you. Yeah, you die. And then she, you know, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of Anar cheats and lets, gives you a way back. So you violate the laws of life and death right there. Yeah, because every other time we die, and, and I should point this out too, because this is kind of important. Every other time every, we die anywhere else in the game, we go to the Shadowlands and come back. Not there. That That's kind of, you, you, wow, I didn't even think of that. That is, that is dang good, dang good point. Pretty major. So, so I have a question for you guys. Okay. If Sylvanas was in touch with this thing and everything since Edge of Night, you know, all that, what did she want the lantern for? Because I don't think it had anything to do with propagating oh, the Forsaken. I mean, she was going for control of Valkyr. What do Valkyr do? Raise the undead and No. She... Even before that, what was their purpose to ferry the souls mm. of the dead to specific locations. We even know about this in Shadowlands. They talk about it at the beginning of uh, of the reveal of the expansion when they were talking about it at BlizzCon. That was the purpose of Valkyr. It wasn't just uh, before Odin got their hands on them, was to take souls and bring them to the proper places of rest well, in the that, Shadowlands. That's the Kyrian, not actually the Valkyr. The Valkyr are... Valkyr A twisted form. 
are basically descended from them. They're like a copy of them. But that right. makes an interesting point. We know that the lantern worked on even uh, it, it, it worked on uh, all of them. Air. It worked on air even. Uh huh. So would it have worked on Kyrian? Could she have used it if she'd gone to Bastion with it? Could she have used the lantern on them? Could she have an entire army of soul-faring creatures under her sway to do exactly what she wants and bring souls exactly where she wants them? Because you'll notice in Legion, after that happened and the lantern was destroyed, when's the next time we saw Sylvanas? It was a long time after that. Yeah. So what was she doing? Don't I really mean... see her again until after Argus is dead. Yeah. Until after Sargeras has stabbed Azeroth. It's like she takes and... three steps back from everything and just lets us do our thing. And is that because what we're doing plays into her plans or because she's looking for that other angle? Because to me, it seems like know, it's almost but like I'm she's kind looking of for the next angle. I'm kind of wondering if the cycle and the cycle being complete and the cycle and the circle and the blah, 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 that everything was being talked about throughout Legion wasn't talking about, you know, the Legion or, or the Naru or blah, blah, blah. It was talking about the cycle of life and death. Yep. That's definitely a possibility. Or of creation and destruction. I don't know. I just find it really interesting that for somebody who is super involved with all of the stuff that was going oh on. Oh, God, guys, guys. Yeah, okay, good, cool. Go for it, Rossi. The Seed of the Pantheon, the essence of Argus is used so that Illidan Stormrager can become the Jailer of Sargeras. Mm-hmm. What if the Jailer is imprisoned? He's trapped there in the Maw doing something forever, guarding the, the souls of the most irredeemably evil forces, and this is all to get out. It's not yeah. just to take power. Yeah. But to think about the, the, the Pantheon did that. What bound the Jailer there? What put him there? Was it the Arbiter? Did the Arbiter bind him there? And if so, how? Or was it like a Greek god situation with Hades where this is the agreement? and then? Oh, but, but think about what we're seeing here. We're seeing with Argus's death, it's the death of Argus that allows them to trap Sargeras because they're using the power released from his world soul. And if that death then threw, if that death then gummied up the works in the Shadowlands, why? What's the symmetry? Why is it there? Think about it. What is it reflecting? I'm saying um, there's there's too much of a similarity between these two things. Even if well, it sounds it, exactly like what was going on with Helia, where Helia got like locked away. But Helia, mm-hmm. Helia actually did the opposite. Helia got turned into a Valkyr, and then she managed to free herself and imprison Odin as well, because one of the old god's servants basically freed her from the binding that he had put on her mind. Okay. And Helia is supposedly the one that helped create the elemental planes in the first place. Which are also prisons. And that was that power that Helia used not only to bind the Halls of Valor, up in a pocket plane, but to create Helia's realm where? In the Shadowlands. And Helia gained her knowledge from association with Ra, Master Ra, Ra Den. Yeah. The, the, origi- the original, you know, first among the, the Titan forged, who the Titans put there to try and shape the world soul of Azeroth. So there's, there's, there's something here. There is something here. And I can't quite, I'm not, I don't know enough about the Jailer, but there's, too many things are lining up here where the, the jailer in his situation, why is the jailer in charge of the Maw? Clearly the jailer doesn't want to be in charge of the Maw or not just the Maw. Yeah. How did it get there? Why did the Arbiter put it there if he did? If it didn't put it there, how did it get there? Why or... would the jailer want all of that anima? Does it want all of that anima because it wants all of the power or does it want all that anima because that much anima it could bust free? And that's what I that's what I posited when we first started seeing the jailer was you know, was this the goal all along? And like going back to like the helm of domination. I mean, we see that is... creature and it's chained up. Yeah, it has chains coming off of it. It doesn't look like it. It's hard to tell if the arms and, and things are bound as well, but it definitely is chained. It definitely contains the chains. But that's why I keep positing was the helm of domination the way to keep it in check? Was it a way to siphon that power off so that it couldn't use all of that power because it was soul bound and contained? It couldn't fight back. It didn't give it freely. Is that what started the whole thing for it? Is that what ticked it off? Is it, you know, like you said, is it been, has it been trapped there the entire time? 
is that why shattering the helm of domination is what opens the the uh, and I mean, that takes us back to, to the question that takes us back to the question that still has yet to be answered, although they did say that some of this is going to be addressed in Shadowlands is who made the helm of domination? Where did it come from? My money's still on Mathurzine. Somebody made that thing specifically and tied it to all of this stuff and, and threw it out there and killed Jaden, got it somehow and stuffed an orc in it. <laughs> Which well, was probably they're... the worst decision he could have made, apparently. <laughs> well, didn't they say that it was crafted at was it the Forge of Domination by the Burning Legion? I think I don't even think if, so. Even if it even if it existed before, like was it perverted? Was it something that was crafted using knowledge that was gifted of soul forging? Because I keep coming back to that because it's one of those things that 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 sticks out to me game mechanics have have been being involved in lore a lot more over the course of the last several expansions and i think we can all agree to that to some degree and for them making such a big deal out of soul binding i'm wondering if that's what it was if it was here's how you soul bind to a powerful entity here's one the titans you know locked away oh sargeras you have knowledge of this or, or you know this, this entity or hey we're from this area. We know of this this entity that can't get out. It can't fight. Was back. the Lich it's King stuck. soul bound to the jailer, or was the Crown soul bound to the jailer, giving the Lich King the power to do what he needed to do? Because the Lich King was supposed to be the jailer of the damned, right? What did it do? It enslaved souls. It had the power to put souls back into bodies and to do things that were absolutely ridiculous. What if that's how we the Lich King knew how to do that to begin with? What if that was the entire purpose was to starve souls from the Shadowlands by keeping them here? There's 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 a lot that could be done there, but I I think mm. I think the helm of domination is going to be more important into what's going on than I think we realize. More so than it just opened up a gateway. I think there's going to be more story there for it. Yeah, because they did say that while we're messing around in Torghast, some of the stuff that we're going to find out when we're in Torghast has to do with the origins behind Frostmourne and the helm of domination because those two things are related um, in some ways. I mean, look at Frostmourne. Frostmourne was essentially a soul siphon, which... And Rossi brought up that it was a rune weapon, right? Mm-hmm. And that what happens with rune weapons when they break and are reformed. Mm. They get stronger. What does that we, implicate? We even know that about uh, the sword that Kael'thas was using that becomes the mage uh, fire. Felothamorn or whatever. Yeah, Felomalorn. Hmm. When it broke and got reforged, it became stronger and was then capable of going toe-to-toe with Shadowmorn. I mean, with Frostmourne. And for that matter, Frostmourne was broken and turned into two swords, but those swords could always be recombined into one. And for that matter, so could the Helm of Domination. <sighs> but they're going to do that. There's just a lot here that it, we don't know enough to have a direct conclusion on it, but um, there's a lot of similarities happening. And it would definitely make sense that the death of an impossible-to-kill being, mm-hmm. because even when Sargeras destroyed their bodies... Uh, their souls like, existed still. They yeah, were here. Norganon managed to continue to their existence. He cast their souls out, and they went across to the Titan Forged, and you know embodied themselves in them before they were then removed. And Agrimar, obviously, Agrimar he got and even recreated. Agrimar had a new body. He wasn't as enormous as Sargeras anymore, but that could just have been a matter of time. You know, we don't know how if Agrimar would have eventually grown to his full Titanic size again. There's just a lot. I going was going to say, here. having seen that cutscene, Agrimar still wasn't anything to sneeze at. I mean, he was pretty big. No. Yeah, but it was definitely clear that Agrimar could could also control his size to a degree because he's not as big in the raid as he was in that scenario in that uh, cutscene. Yeah, even the Titans, even the Titans are smaller than you would expect when we're on the when we're on the seat of the Pantheon. Although there, when when the there's a translation to the seat of the Pantheon because when Sargeras gets pulled in there, he's now not planet sized. Sure, you know, so it seems pretty apparent that to a degree their size is somewhat mutable. I don't know. There's just there's a lot going on here that that isn't quite established yet. Like we don't know enough about either the arbiter or the jailer to make. But the arbiter in particular is fascinating to me because what is it? Mm-hmm. Why is it doing this? Like how does it do it? Why is it allowed? Is it a to being it? or is it another machine of sorts? Or are we starting to finally see the cosmic entities that uh, economy of scale? Right. This is something that I talked about uh, way long ago. When we first started in the game, we needed 40 people in a raid to do something to these powerful creatures. Over time, that's diminished, but 
the power scale of what we deal with has also increased since then exponentially. It's not just an elemental lord anymore. It's uh, an old god. It's a supercharged the you know sorceress that is the greatest magic user that has ever existed. It's old gods. It's world souls. It's universe spanning cosmic entities at this point. And now we're going to go see something that for all intents and purposes, as far as we know, has existed since time began, because there's always been a Shadowlands, at least from what they're saying. So has there always been an Arbiter? Is this a creature that existed after the universe was first created? I was going to say, there's always been a Shadowlands. It was spawned when the universe itself and life was spawned. Mm -hmm. Life had to have somewhere to go when it ended. Yeah. Is this a creature on par or is this an entity on par with the full essence of light and void? Is this something you know, like we're starting to interact with these things on a power scale that's just exponentially larger than we've ever dealt with before? And I think that's fascinating to me. And is I want a Naru type creature that cycles between life and death instead of light and void. Or is it an entity that split itself in half and stuck half of itself in the maw to handle all the evil things? while it sat there and did the good neutral or the good or neutral thing of, of parsing everything out. We know that Blizzard does like that. <laughs> did it pull idea. an Anu? <laughs> yeah. Did it, is, is this the Warcraft's Anu? Well, we know that the Arbiter is considered to be, um, it predates all memory, even older than the Titans, according to some accounts. Mm-hmm. So, and they know that when the soul is brought before it, it can send it to, and I'm quoting here, one of the infinite realms of the Shadowlands. So, there are more realms of the Shadowlands than we're going to see. Oh, yeah. But that's that's kind of where I was going with it. It's like, was Torghast created essentially to house its most impure or evil or darkest irredeemable qualities, and then everything else just got shoved in there with it? Okay, well, we're running out of time here. So I think I'm going to kind of call it here before we get too much further into more discussion. Um, I will say this was kind of a little bit of a weird episode, you guys, but what you were just listening to was literally, it's our conversations at 3 a.m. when we're talking about Lord oh, yeah. And come back in two years when we're in Endgame and Shadowlands and see how much of what we said was correct or if we were onto anything or if we were just making stuff up. Chances are we found a th- few threads because <laughs> we usually do. <laughs> Regardless, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show here, I think. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And I know Joe mentioned it earlier. For you guys, listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible's offering a, a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial, and it gives you the opportunity to check out their service they have a lot of the warcraft titles on there the world of warcraft titles on there um including gosh uh we talked about arthas arthas is on there we talked about what what all did we talk about war crimes is another war crimes is on there um any of the newer ones are on there i would recommend i i definitely recommend before the storm because i think it was an excellent excellent title Mm -hmm. um and it kind of delved into sylvanas a little bit more but it also delved into the nature of being forsaken in a way that i thought was really interesting and it delved into it's kind of interesting because it was talking about the nature of death in that book before we even got to where we are so it's worth checking out. So you could download any of, you know, the Blizzard titles that are on there or they have thousands and thousands of others to choose from. You can sign up by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and every sign up helps support the show and everything that we do. Final thoughts, you guys. And I don't know if I have like a final, final thought because we've been given so much to think about here. I guess what I would say is when do you think Sylvanas saw the Shadowlands and noticed it for the first time? Do you think it was when she jumped off the Frozen Throne? Or do you think maybe it was in that moment that Arthas cut her down in between that and having her soul torn from her body? And maybe that's why she's so fixated on that moment. It's not just the moment of her death, her first death, but it's also... It's also when she first saw something that was so much bigger than herself. I don't know. What do you guys think? Joe? I'm going to go with Edge of Night. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I don't think that she would have been able to transition when she was cut down by Arthas and then ripped into a banshee. 
because it was pretty dang quick. And for okay. what we've seen, there's time in between there. So I think Edge of Night was her first time seeing uh, the Shadowlands, but I think seeing a specific part of it and then being shown more of it as time progressed with the aid of her Valkyr. Okay. Rossi, same question. Oh, I disagree with Joe. Uh, we, <laughs> we know that, well, I mean, first off, I mean, you're objectively wrong. She he, she gets killed and then he takes her body somewhere and then he pulls her soul out. So she's dead and he's got her dead and he transports her somewhere. That's enough time for her spirit to go to the Shadowlands because that's where everybody's spirit goes. So her spirit was on yeah. its way and then he ripped her back. So she in did Warbringers it show in Warbringers it shows it as kind of an immediate process, but, yeah, but I think that was probably for the purposes of storytelling. Really. Yeah, I was kind of going from Warbringers as far in as every that goes. version we've seen before. I mean, he, he he takes her, puts her on an altar type thing, and then rips her back. So that's where I'm going. So she's been to the Shadowlands when she died, and then she was pulled back and turned into a banshee. And I think that would be her first exposure, not just to the Shadowlands, but to the power of the Lich King, the fact that it could do this to her. I think she saw the Maw in Edge of Night. And I think she went to the Maw in Edge of Night. And I think Arthas was in the Maw in Edge of Night. That that's the place he is. The darkness, that's all he sees, is the Maw. Do you think Arthas deserves to be in the Maw? Abza-freaking-lutely. Oh, yeah. He was he warned. He had chances. He, you think he's he past redemption? Well, what is redemption? Do you think Arthas Menethil, not the Lich King, do you think Arthas Menethil's soul is beyond redemption? I mean, I, I don't, I need to know what redemption is before we could really answer that question. Do you think he should have gone to Revendeth? No, I think he went to where he was supposed to go. Okay. Because just the stuff he did, and I'm not talking killing Before people Frostmourne at Stratholm. or everything. Yeah. The, the, the things he did to get Frostmourne, the burning of the boats, the betrayal of his own men, he repeatedly, time and again, shows his pride over the, the, the you know, other people. And he didn't matter. You know, I must have what I want. I must have my revenge. It doesn't matter he was who doing, for it. He was doing oh. what he thought must be done. Yeah, but who, you know, that's the thing. He had the choice and he chose to do those things because he believed he was right. You okay. could make a case for him going to Revendreth, but I don't think so. I think he went too far. And even when he when he picked up Frostmourne, you, you know, they, they always say, boom, his soul was taken. But the thing was, is his, his soul didn't go anywhere. It was in the sword, essentially. And then he got it back. It went into the helm. When he put the helm on, his soul went into that helm. And he still, all the stuff he chose to do with the helm of domination on, that's on him. Mm -hmm. He chose to do that. You can't blame Nerzul for any of that. He crushed Nerzul into like a fragment. He's like, you go sit in the corner and cry. I'm going to handle this. This is mine now. And then he went and did all that stuff while he was the Lich King. That's all on him, too. No, he went where you're supposed to go. Okay, because I was going to say, do you do you believe that the Arbiter in that case would be a neutral entity, given that the Lich King draws his power from the Shadowlands in terms of judgment? Um, yeah, you got me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up there again you guys if you have an email for the show you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com just be sure to put lore watch in the subject line that we so that we know it's for this show or you can drop by our discord pop into the queue and podcast question channel and again just make sure that you mention that the questions for lore watch and we will pull those probably next week i mean it's going to be post-holiday probably we're going to be answering some emails and talking about that so be sure to go ahead and get those in and as always thanks so much for listening you guys and we will see you again next week Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. 
And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.